Welcome to the Flyover Ministry Podcast, a practical youth ministry podcast for small church leaders by small church leaders. We are grateful that you have joined us for our journey through ministry-related topics that we hope help equip and encourage you as you serve Jesus wherever you are. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Dan. And I'm Jordan. And this is Flyover Ministry, once again, continuing on in our series on the Jehovah's Witnesses and cults in the community. And we hope that the first episode was beneficial for you. That is the goal of all of our episodes. And I feel like we keep saying that, but (laughs) that is always our hope is that this is a kind of a launching pad for you to jump into your own research. And there's quite a bit out there. And we will uh, be posting some links on our social media pages. And on the episodes here and the, the details, if you wherever you're looking at, whether that's Spotify or Anchor or iTunes or wherever you're at, um, we'll be posting some YouTube videos with these episodes as well, just for you to have some more additional resources. But uh, we're going to shout him out later here, but uh, shout out to Mike Winger, a uh, YouTuber that really gets into apologetics and uh, very much the, the cults and kind of what we're talking about. We're looking today at basic beliefs. And uh, as we start here, uh, again, kind of picking up where Jordan left off on our our last episode and where we left off just, again, giving the overview of the Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, the big distinction between Christianity and the Jehovah's Witnesses, I think, especially, is that um, the person we're following is Jesus, Uh, not some people in uh, a building, uh, not just some people that would say, listen to me and nobody else. Uh, but we're following one who speaks the truth, who lives the truth out, who does not, uh, <laughs> who is not brought to court for uh, libel, right, or for fraud. Um, he is, well, well, I suppose he is brought. He is brought. To, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. There it is. He with false charges. But we're, we follow somebody who encourages us to be discerning. And to use and to pursue the truth. And he invites us to do that. And as we pursue it, the truth, the scripture is very clear that we'll find it. Like that is something that God does not hide from us or keep uh, tucked away or make it hard to access. But it is open and readily available for us. So keep that in mind as we look at the basic beliefs. Uh, we're going to jump into this. And I'll start off here by talking about cosmology. At least the Jehovah's Witnesses recognize that God is the creator of the universe, uh, wanting to compare and contrast that to the Mormons, where they believe that uh, God was a man like us, who eventually raised himself to the point of godhood and then created the, the world. Um, so we have the basic beliefs here that God is the creator of the universe and that mankind, uh, a little bit of anthropology here as well, Mankind is created in the image of Jehovah, but has willfully sinned. So far, so good, right? Uh, Everyone is born a sinner. Check. We'd agree with that. Uh, And those who prove themselves loyal subjects will receive everlasting life on earth. And right there is where we kind of jump the rails into crazy town. (laughs) And we're going to do our best to just look at basic beliefs. And uh, we'll look at what this looks like compared to... Uh, what Christians believe in the next episode as we look at the main conflicts of Christianity. But 
Um, as we keep looking at anthropology, a few select people will rule in heaven. Uh, they would point to that and say the 144,000, uh, as you read in Revelation. And since God's kingdom is a special government, no follower of his can take part of this wicked world, uh, can't be involved in any way politically or in the defense of a nation or a homeland. Uh, and that uh, is not unique to the Jehovah's Witnesses. That is also the belief uh, specifically, and I want to point out uh, what I'm looking at here, not the sum total of what they believe about anthropology, just the defense and the reluctance to serve in the, the military, uh, but the Amish and the Hutterites, uh, they are uh, pacifists, uh, admirably so. Uh, that's why they don't have mustaches. Did you know that, Jordan? I did not associate mustaches with pacifism. Nope. Yep. Nope. So the, when the Amish, when you see them, they don't have mustaches. That was a callback to um, the militaristic uh, persuasion at the time when their uh, group was founded, as they uh, recognized that mustaches were associated with the military. <laughs> anyway... Random trivia about the Amish aside, we're back to Jehovah's Witnesses here, <laughs> reining it in. Uh, Jordan, you want to pick it up? Sure. Um, yeah, you raised some good points about about that too, and that that develops into um, more interesting things as well. They also have uh, aversion to celebrations, so like no birthday celebrations, no um, kind of parties in some sense. So just interesting things with that. So that was Again, our, why, why, I, why, if, why would you fall for this? So this will be something that needs to be checked. Um, but at one point, I think I recall it being explained to me that because it was at a party where John the head had his head decapitated. So that, I don't know if that's like that, that might just be hearsay. So anyways, let's get to what we do know. Um, they also have some, specific beliefs about Jesus, which is really important because Jesus is the central figure of history, uh, the second person of the Trinity, which is what orthodoxy proclaims, but not necessarily what the Jehovah's Witnesses proclaim. So one of the big departures from orthodoxy that they have with Christ dealing with the Trinity again is that they would say Jesus is a created being. So when you see in scripture, like Jesus is the firstborn of all creation, they would say, look, Jesus is created. See, he's he's the first. So he has to then not be the same as God the Father because you can't create yourself, so he cannot be as majestic as the Father. And so mm. in doing so, they recognize Jesus is a great God, just not as great as God the Father. And they'll say Jesus when he is on earth and he says the Father is greater than I, He's he's supporting this. Um, the firstborn from the dead. And so they have these scriptural passages that they look to for these things. But what they don't understand is that by saying that Jesus is not part of the Trinity. That's as the Arianism, second... Patrick. Yes. So again, there's nothing new under the sun. This goes way back to the fourth century when this was first postulated. Um, and it is Arianism. So way to go. You've built a cult on a heresy that's been debunked way back then. Um, kudos. But not only is it Arianism, they also go into polytheism because mm. now there are two gods, even though one is like a lesser god, you are now having a multiplicity of gods. And so they try to honor Jesus and honor the Father above Jesus, but that 
creates a lot of problems. Um, so who is Jesus then? Well, in scripture, they say, whenever you see Michael show up, the archangel, that is Jesus. Um, and I think there was a reference like, I uh, spoke with the voice of an archangel. And that was like one of the ways they had said, okay, so that must be then Jesus being an archangel. But then right after when with the voice of a trumpet, he is no longer an instrument. Um, we can differentiate that. So consistency. Uh, but anyways, Jesus is Michael the archangel. Um, he did die, but he was not resurrected. So they would say things like his body might have dissolved in the tomb or something like that. But the, the bottom line is that he was his spirit rose his breath rose mm. but not his body and and that gets a little bit into the weeds too because they've got they've got interesting views on on spirits and, and stuff like that so but the bottom point was that he did not physically raise from the dead um but that i think now this would be another heresy i don't remember what the title of it would be but if you look at the new testament when jesus comes back then he would be i don't think it'd quite be modalism because that's different persons of the Trinity showing up individually. Um, so like God would shapeshift into the sun or whatever. Uh, but they would say that Jesus could then show like when Thomas touched his side, that was just him like manifesting a physical thing for that moment, but that he wasn't actually physical. Um, and then would it be partialism. Maybe I, I, I would have to look at those, those terms. So, um, but Again, with Christ, since he did not rise bodily, his ascension into heaven wasn't visibly seen. You know, he was taken in the clouds. Mm. So he he rose in a spiritual sense, which has implications then for how he returns, because he will also then return invisibly, not as a body. And a part of their theology, which was interesting to read about, was, again, keeping in mind, Russell born 1850s and so he's living in that era he then starts proclaiming that christ is going to come back in 1914 mm. and um i think some of the verbiage was that no one who has seen these events of 1914 will pass away without seeing armageddon which was like going to usher in this new um the physical reign of christ and so the problem, though, was that people start getting older and older and dying. As as you can think now, 1914, we are now 19, or not 19, 2023. So how many of those people are still around? Right? Has Armageddon happened? So as he's writing this, he's saying, okay, so there's going to be this big struggle. World War One is happening. So people are like, oh, and he's like, I rest my case. And so Jesus then comes back and he conveniently is coming back and ruling specifically through the organization of a handful of people that are running the Watchtower Society is how he is ruling through them. So interesting thoughts on Christ. Yeah. Interesting also that uh, Pastor Russell dies a few years after 1914 as well. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Not just anybody, but the leader <laughs> dies. I just, um, the there's the irony again. Is it irony? Is it coincidence? <laughs> I'm all muddled up since our last I know. dive into that. Somebody, yeah, somebody please help us on irony. Is it irony? Is it a coincidence? Who knows? Um, looking at the Holy Spirit as well, 
uh, Holy Spirit as not a person of the Trinity, but instead is God's active force, um, whatever that means, how he influences and sways the nations and the peoples to do certain things or how he interacts with mankind. But Holy Spirit, not a part of the Trinity. Again, calling back to the fact that uh, whenever you start looking at examples of the Trinity, uh, different heresies pop up very early in church history that are immediately debunked and uh, done away with and silenced and put an end to, you would think. But yet it still is, uh, th these heresies still pop up in different ways as we try and explain who the Trinity is and what the Trinity is like. And I've got a book here burning a hole in my desk in my reading list that I'm trying to get through this year, but he talks about the Trinity uh, and it's very good, but it's also very dense. So it's a, it's a very slow read, but it's, it's interesting to see that, especially with a lot of these cults, how quickly they alternate, um, not just who God is, but the redemptive work of Jesus. And they call into question the resurrection as well. Uh, reminding us how easy it is to diverge from the gospel. But saving that for the next episode, um, we look at now as well the requirements on how a person is to be saved. Um, pretty important when it comes to not just Christianity, but mankind in general, as we recognize uh, our need to be saved. How is someone saved? Terrific question asked multiple times in the Bible. And uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses take in... Uh, they instruct us to take in the knowledge of God and Jesus Christ as the created being. Not as God, but as the created being. They instruct us to obey God's laws, um, kind of pointing us already to the foundation of a works-based righteousness, uh, speaking very much to the direction of them going out and publishing as much as they can, uh, going out and uh, interacting and walking around, uh, trying to evangelize and proselytize uh, their neighborhoods. Um, you have to belong to the Jehovah's Witness organization. Uh, so you have to be a member. Um, kind of an interesting requirement that if you're not a member in good standing, you're not going to be saved. Uh, you have to belong to our group, not the church, but our group specifically. Uh, loyalty is required. Um, they'll know if you are uh, loyal or not by the fact that they require you to promote the Jehovah's Witness material, which, you know, they require you to read and only that. Uh, going door to door, to door is a requirement. Uh, in order to prove your loyalty, you have to do this. Now, not that's not everybody's cup of tea on sharing your faith, going door, door to door. Um, I, I'm not entirely comfortable. I'm more willing to have conversations about what I believe over a cup of coffee or over a meal or something like that. Going door to door is not exactly in my wheelhouse. Jordan, I don't know about you. I don't want to speak for you, but... It was much more so when I was a paper boy. When you were a paper boy. Because that's where I delivered the paper. But mm. it wasn't proving as many conversations. Proving your loyalty to... What's the paper in Ishpeming? It was the Mining Journal. The Mining Journal. Okay. Very good. Yeah, I thought they would have, like, the Ishpeming Inquirer or something <laughs> like that. Uh, the statement they make here is to make haste to identify the visible theolo uh, theocratic organization of God that represents his king, Jesus Christ. It is essential for life. Doing so, 
being complete and accepting its every aspect. Uh, in other words, to uh, receive everlasting life in the earthly paradise, we must identify that the organization and serve God as a part of it. This is taken from the Watchtower. And uh, you can go onto the Jehovah's website. Uh, I found, uh, as you were talking, Jordan, I did a quick little search over here as well about birthdays, why they don't celebrate them, and uh, they believe that it d displeases God. And there's a whole paragraph explaining why they believe that they recognize that it's not prohibited in Scripture, but we believe it displeases God. And it's kind of a weird thing to, to view from the outside looking in to say, like, who came up with that? Who who decided that it displeased God to celebrate birthdays? Yeah. <laughs> Anywho. So moving on then to their view of end times, we've already covered a little bit of this, their mm. eschatology, what comes next. Um, they do not believe in a literal hell. And so you have, we would say that hell, the existence of hell is one of the reasons that we should be motivated to share the gospel because we recognize that there is this thing out there that people are destined to apart from Christ and, and it's horrible. And so we want people to be saved from that. And as does Christ, God's wills for all men to be saved and come to knowledge of him. Um, they don't have that, which then you figure out how do you get these people to uh, proselytize? Well, that's where it comes into workspace and like, you have to do this as a part of your salvation. So we see that. Um, we also talked about another really interesting thing. Uh, only 144,000 will be saved in the fullest sense, which means that they will be reigning with Christ in heaven. So even as we've talked through some of these other things, uh, you, you've heard reference to ruling on earth or experiencing eternal life on earth. Mm -hmm. That's the hope that we have, right? If we're not one of the 144,000, which again, they get from Revelation and conveniently disregard the fact that it's specifically talking about 12 tribes of Israel. So I'm not sure how they figure that out. Um, but ruling on earth then is, is the best you have. And then if you don't succeed, if you're not a part of the chosen or whatever it might be, then what you are facing with is annihilation of the soul. Mm -hmm. So you just, you die and there's nothing. And so one might say then, if, we're, if you're thinking about Pascal's wager then, too, um, how, what's the risk in doing something like this? Uh, you know, from their own theology, if you miss out, then you're just done. So it's not really that big of a deal. Right. I did notice this when I was doing some research on this topic as well, is that uh, when the Jehovah's Witness organization grew past 144,000, they kind of were... Uh, had a conversation to say, um, what do we what do we do here? We've been teaching this. Uh, what do we say to these people who are trying to figure out if they are part of this 144,000 or not? And they came up with, uh, as far as I could find, the idea that this 144,000 will be saved in the fullest sense, no uh, physical body, but they will be joined with God in heaven as a spirit. And then everybody else... Uh, the non-144,000 that are still loyal to the Jehovah's Witnesses who have done everything that is required for salvation, they started to teach that there is going to be a new earth and you'll be here with your physical body. And doesn't that sound better? Like, don't you want to do that instead of floating around as a spirit? You don't want to be a spirit floating in heaven. So already just the twist of something so foundational um, on 
the end time, the view of end times and what happens after we die and what happens when Jesus returns, uh, just how much of a, a, a shift that they were able to take where they didn't have to fundamentally change what they believed uh, or what they had been teaching prior to that. But now it has come at a different angle to be able to say, oh, by the way, this is the new standard. Yeah. And when somebody changes something that foundational, that should be a red flag for us. But I think uh, another, go ahead. Yeah. I think another telling thing about that, that that's really subtle, but that is also at the same time, like blaze hunter orange clear um, <laughs> is that what, what does that become about then? If your view of eternity is I want to be able to live eternally on earth and that's better. It's all about you. It's mm-hmm. not about Christ. And, and we would say the hope of eternity is having christ that's the goal that is what heaven's all about and so that just a huge difference that we want to recognize there too Mm -hmm. we're going to talk about the watchtower publications uh uh, the bible and their authority as well as we take a look at their foundational teachings again i said this before but uh most bible critics and translators look at what the jehovah's witnesses use and they recognize it as being a terrible Bible translation. This is the New World Translation. I would highly recommend that you maybe pick a favorite verse of yours and go and take a look at their Bible translation to see what they do to interpret it. But, um, you know, usually as Christians, we would probably try and ground ourselves around translations like the NIV, ESV, NASB, King James, if you if that's your jam, New King James, if you're not into the old yees and thous and thines and whatnot. Um, I mean, even the New Living Translation, not exactly a translation, but um, even that is better than what uh, the New World Translation is. So uh, just some input from me to you. Um, feel free to look at it, but don't use it as your actual <laughs> Bible to study for Uh, your own devotional life. Uh, Your survival and salvation is going to depend on listening to the teaching and doctrine of their leaders. Not Jesus, but their leaders. Eight guys in New York, in some building somewhere. (laughs) That is what your salvation depends on. And if that doesn't just raise a little bit of a red flag for you, uh, I don't know what will. That just, uh, yeah. You better take it, Jordan, because I'm just... uh. Yeah. I read this in a comment of one of my Quinger's videos, so I, I'm substantiated, but just want to raise that. There is the possibility that their headquarters have changed out of New York. Oh, just saying. Okay. But the point's still valid. Eight guys that are whoever's leading this organization. And, and, and you know, I sometimes you can think of like, well, they're just saying these things, you know, where is this actually coming from? So I want to uh, read to you just something from their teachings themselves. And I think this is really revealing. Um, as we're talking about their beliefs. So here's something from the Wash Tower that was published September 15th. So this is way back in 1910, but this is their stance. This is what things have been built on. So this is what it says. And if the six volumes of scripture studies, again, adding my own notes here, that is uh, what Charles Russell wrote himself. Those are the first books that were being published then. So if the six volumes of scripture studies are pract- they are practically the Bible topically arranged with Bible proof text given, we might not improperly name the volume the Bible in an arranged form. That is to say that they are not mere comments on the Bible, 
but they are practically the Bible itself. Ugh. Pretty bold right. claim. Yep. Furthermore, not only do we find that the people cannot see the divine plan in studying the Bible by itself, but we see also that if anyone lays the scripture studies aside, so again, that's his writings, even after he's used them, after he has become familiar with them, after he has read them for 10 years, if he lays, then lays them aside and ignores them and goes to the Bible alone, though he has understood his Bible for 10 years, our experience shows that within two years, he goes into darkness. On the other hand, if he had merely read the scripture studies with their references and had not read a page of the Bible as such, he would be in the light and at the end of two years because he would have the light of the scriptures. Wow, is what I have to say to that. I mean, that takes some... The stones on that rusty right. guy. That is such a, a, a galling statement to say... If you don't read, if you've studied our stuff for 10 years, and if you leave it and you just look at God's word for within two years, you're going to be lost. I think that would reveal that they are scared of what God's word actually teaches and how different it is from, you know, I would have no problem saying to my students, if you forget anything that I've said, if you never listen to another word that I say, but you just study the word, awesome do it. You know, I'd rather mm -hmm. you like be studying God's word in your own life than trying to get what you can from me. And that be your only source of spiritual input. Right. <laughs> yeah. But I've never, I've never written something that I felt so confidently about where I could say, yeah, this will save you for sure. Yeah. It, it it's kind of nuts. <laughs> but uh... I, again, though, that, that kind of goes back to the whole underpinning of circling the wagons. We're the only source. We're the only ones that have this understanding. Everyone else is tainted. Everyone else is wrong. Um, and, and it comes down to this whole theological system that they put forth. Um, and I think we'll get into this a little bit more, but it, it, it it's, yeah, actually, you know what? I'm going to save it because we're about time for this episode. So we're going to wrap yeah. us up here. I'm going to well, leave I, you hanging. I, I was curious, just one other thing too, just noticing again, their view on the 1914 being when Jesus will return. Uh, and then uh, just how that intersects with world history. For those of you history nerds like me, looking at World War One, how many of them were wondering like, okay, is there going to be a battle in Armageddon or is you know the fields of France Armageddon for us? And you look at the mm -hmm. First World War and certainly it would have been ripe with opportunities for the Jehovah's Witnesses to be able to lay claim on that and to say, look, 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 look. And that's pretty convincing, you know, especially when you've got a war going on to be able to see, you know, this isn't just any war. This And especially when it's labeled the war to end all wars. Interesting, right? So all of this jigsawing into uh, people utilizing what is going on around them to try and convince people and persuade people in a certain direction. But all of this pointed to the fact that Jesus says that many will be led astray. Many people will come to him and will, uh, through convincing words and uh, arguments and whatnot, people will be led astray, uh, even some of the elect. Uh, but those who remain faithful to the point of death, to them will be given uh, eternal life, right? The crown of life. And 
Uh, we celebrate that. We see that as well. So as we've looked at this, we're going to keep going on uh, next episode. But I'm going to stop stealing Jordan's exit of this episode and turn it over to him again. The thunder has already sounded. <laughs> so go in peace and serve the Lord. Thanks for listening to Flyover Ministry. You can find, follow, and give feedback on our Instagram and Facebook pages at Flyover Ministry. You can also get in contact with us on our Gmail account, flyoverministrypodcast at gmail.com. You can find other episodes that we've recorded on iTunes and Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts, and please feel free to share them with a friend. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.